0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoted for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Upon laying their eyes on the CD imperial, Couch's fellow would-be showgirls immediately recognized it as a low-class dive and left. But Agnes, young, naive, and probably broke went inside. The young recruit was led to her private bedroom to catch up on her rest. While eating lunch with her fellow performers during the first day, she realized she was in depraved surroundings.
0: Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Today's topic, finding stories from the past. Joining us today is Andrew Hughes. Andrew works as a librarian who specializes in archives at the University of South Florida, Tampa Libraries Special Collections, where all the coolest and rarest materials reside. He writes, speaks, and cooks about history when he can. His latest book is called From Saloons to Steakhouses, A History of Tampa. Thanks for joining us. So tell us first off how you came up with the title or the idea for this book. The title and the idea for this book.
2: <laughs> um, the idea was, a, it was a roundabout uh, way. Um, I, I first thought of it about a little over 20 years ago, actually, as uh, a history of food and restaurants I mean, originally it was bars, and then I started to realize there's no no records, and not many reliable memories when it comes to bars, so I decided it probably wasn't uh, a good subject, but when I was a history student, I just noticed that really that's um, a subject that hadn't been touched on much by, you know, previous historians, and and some things have been kind of overdone, like I think the lector's. I was interested in a kind of a broader look at Tampa's history. Um, I think professors are naturally um, drawn to the lectors, you know, people who speak for a living. They have a a captive audience. Um, So um, I guess I just wanted to, um, to look at Tampa in a different way and, you know, and still incorporate like all those, you know, important issues like race and, you know, diversity and all that stuff, but fold it in in a way where, you know, it wasn't like about race in Tampa, it's about life in Tampa, and race is one aspect of that.
1: I love that lens, and I learned so much, and and things that going on in the 1880s the mirrored stuff that was going on now was so fascinating like the whole idea that strip clubs existed you know 150 years ago there were burlesque and strip clubs in tampa what what did you learn about your city um, when you put that lens on it and then decided like here's what i'm going to dig down in um in this piece of tampa you know the the kind of i don't want to say seedier side but the more like entertainment outside of work side of tampa
2: right um what was the question again? Um, you know, how did I? What
1: well, you learned about your city.
2: Yeah, I mean, I learned a lot. I, um, someone once told me that like, that Tampa is one of those cities where if you pull on a, a string or a story long enough, it has like national implications. There's, there's like all the national stuff plays out locally and that happens everywhere. Uh, but I really found that was, that was true. Like um, I had heard about the Imperial Theater and the burlesque and all that stuff. And, you know, originally I was going to write about Joe Redner. And I was like, why do I write about Joe Redner? I am write about this guy who did it originally, like way back when, you know, this Greek immigrant. Um, and I had no idea that he was like a test case for the White Slave Act, you know, or the Mann Act. So, like, as I pulled on that string, I get all the way to the Supreme Court and I'm like, oh, my God. And then, so, first of all, I'm delighted because I've got transcripts to work with, you know, that were, you know, they're available through the Supreme Court. But second of all, I just had no idea that it became that big of an issue. And this guy, he he couldn't get arrested or catch a cold in Tampa. But, you know, he eventually was indicted and went to prison for this kind of a trumped up charge, you know, sexual harassment for sure. But, um, you know, I don't know if it warranted the, the, the punishment. The other thing is, like, the glass scare during World War One. I. I had no idea it even happened, and then, like, I'm looking at this story, and it's playing out locally, and then, you know, I'm looking at an attorney general's report from 1918 going, like, you know, it's, it's hard for us to do our job during the war because everyone is so hysterical, but yet it was um, a state that of the populace that they liked. You know, they said it was people were being vigilant, but they were really kind of going half crazy and all trying to throw each other in jail and you know whatever so there was a lot of surprises you know um you know I I had read about a lot of history of Tampa before and it it sounded really dramatic but it didn't always come away come that you know come across that way on the page so I guess one of the things I want to do is just kind of capture a bunch of that drama too you know and not just the facts.
1: Well it was fascinating how you wove the media into it too and I mean as a a newspaper person to see kind of how the media bought into this glass scare and sort of was like racially divisive and religiously divisive and through the media was helping to, to fan that and, and to make those divides. And so I, I really loved all the um, primary source documents. So if you guys haven't read the book yet, go buy Andrew's book, but it's it's fascinatingly written with footnotes. So you can go back and look at all the sources that he found this stuff from. Can, can you walk us through a little bit of your process of, of researching this?
2: Right. Um... <clears throat> Actually, I mean, newspapers were really important because I knew some of the broader strokes of stories that were happening, um, but you can't really see how that plays out through, you know, records and stuff like that, you know, kind of um, more bureaucratic stuff. You know, the newspapers are really what captures, you know, what's going on day to day. And they're they're flawed sources, you know, and that much you know. Like, you know, the Tampa Tribune was never friendly towards labor you know uh for example and it was it was absolutely like virulently against labor a hundred years ago and so you know they wore that stuff on their sleeve you know um so i think you get to know you know your sources after a while and what you can trust and what you can't and um there's certainly times where you couldn't trust you know what was being written but then there's a lot of times where it's it's your only shot at getting um at getting something true and something that feels, you know, that, that feels like a story rather than, um, you know, an analysis.
0: You talk a little more about, you said you, you found like Supreme Court transcripts or, you know, it, so aside from newspapers, what were some of the most valuable documents that you found?
2: Right. Um, a couple of them were actually scrapbooks and they were really valuable because they were sort of pathfinders, you know, where um, one of them was... Uh, um, about Bart Key's restaurant so Bart Key Steakhouse I, I devote one of the chapters to that and it sort of mapped out the whole history you know for me you know with a menu in there and all this other stuff so it's like wow I've got all this information now I can go ahead and look up the patents that he did for this Gretchen broil matic grill that he had um and look up other stuff so um I'm trying to think of some of the other good sources uh I mean, the city of Tampa was really helpful. They have a lot of uh, digitized materials from their archives. So, for example, I was able to look at the minutes for city council, which is very interesting because there's always like a few people who want to do the right thing, but there's never enough. <laughs> um, you know, and if the city council, <laughs> right, if the city council votes to do something, then will the mayor even bother to do it? It's you know, it's real wild west stuff. Um, uh, and, you know, a lot of things haven't changed much. But um, uh, so there's, you know, there's all kinds of sources. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other good ones. Um, you know, the meeting minutes, the other one was um, the city uh, ordinances. They You know, they're just passing ordinances like every week, you know. And after a while, they're, they're so overlapping and complex that nobody can really make sense of. Is it legal to drink on a Sunday or not, you know? So at one point, I think in the late 1800s, they just wiped the board clean and kind of started over because it was such a mess. Um, so that's, you know, those are interesting sources, those kinds of things. But then, of course, people are a great source, you know. So in later chapters, I was able to do some interviews with people involved in like the civil rights movement, Keys Restaurant, um, other, other places like that. So, and I'm, you know, a huge fan of of oral history and interviews. And I just think that that's, you you know, you can't get that from a book. So
1: You had like other treasures, like letters, like during the Spanish American war letters from some of the privates, a letter from Carl Sandburg about tainted beef or something that was interesting. I was like, I never thought of Carl Sandburg as a private in a, you know, a military maneuver there. Um, How did you find those? And, And were those things that you, Knew you already had in your special collections or did you
2: go out seeking for some of those? Um, some of those were actually documented in other sources. Um, so like, in Carl Sandburg was later famous poet. So, you know, um, so his stuff tended to get um, amplified a little bit. Um, but then we also have stuff in, the, in our collections at USF. So yeah, I'm the the archivist there so we do have some letters we've got um a really interesting set of materials about a guy who died basically died of disease while um in new york after he got landed back from cuba but this you know this whole thing of a single soldier and this whole thing and you know barely fought and died of disease you know um sitting in an open air camp where they you know were totally overwhelmed and couldn't deal with it. So, and then the parents trying to get, you know, some sort of restitution and, you know, figure out what happened exactly. So those kinds of things tell a story in and of itself, you know, a bigger story that I can use as a cog in, in my story. So, um, but I was really the, the embalmed beef thing to me was a great, another great find. Like I had always heard about they you know, Congress spent years talking about this embalmed beef scandal and then to find out it all happened here, like it, it was all a result of a misunderstanding with this kind of charlatan beef guy showing off his, his beef in the sun. And then, you know, a general thinking that's what the soldiers were eating. Now the soldiers, what they were eating wasn't really much better. It was really terrible canned beef, um, but that's a whole nother story. So it was great to be able to find stuff, you know, behind that, that I just, I don't know if anyone's connected those dots quite like that before. Um, same thing with like the glass scare. I've never heard this stuff mentioned, um, you know, subsequent histories because it's not something to be proud of, really. <laughs> you know, uh, these kinds of things.
0: So, Andrew, what advice do you have for journalists who are trying to rec- reconstruct scenes and stories from the past? What What have you learned doing some of this work?
2: I mean, I've learned a lot from from journalists, um, to be honest, and from from other authors and stuff. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't consider myself a great writer. Um, you know, I, I think I can pull the story together and, but, um, I mean, I think a big part of it, you know, is just, I think a young student especially learned to take yourself out of it. You know, if you, if there's something you want to say, find a source that says it for you instead of saying this is what I think, you know? Um, so, um, I think that's a, a good thing. But the other thing is also, um, and I don't do it enough but you know just description of basic stuff like if I want to set the scene look up the weather that day you know um in you know what was the weather report like um it gives you something you know else to throw in there um and uh, you know I guess the other thing is it's funny cuz I don't really consider it like a book with a humorous book but there's humor sort of built into it um if you you know um uh appreciate absurdity and stuff and and so it's not something that I really play up a lot or anything but I do feel like um someone told me use the word pithy to describe you know my some of my descriptions and stuff and um I did look it up (laughs) (laughs) before I decided whether it was a good thing or not but um it's definitely a good thing you know um so I I think that's accurate I think there's a little pithiness here and there.
0: I think you also. I mean, one of the things that you do is you use the language of the times, which is which is really helpful, I think, in putting you back there. Like, you know, coochie coochie girls isn't something we talk about. <laughs> at least I don't talk about it now. But, um, <laughs> right. So I, I think that's some of the some of the treasure to be found in in old accounts. You know, where you get to see that and sort of bring you back to the day.
2: Right. Yeah, and also and just what they found funny, what they found what they found offensive then. You know, one one of great exercises if you want to go just look up like a newspaper database and just look up the word unspeakable. You will find like all kinds of craziness because it's unspeakable, you know? Like and they use that word a lot. Like now, you know, you don't say say, you can say anything you want and you know uh, <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't seem to matter, but um, but back then there was all these unspeakable stories. So I think that's a, a great idea for a a book or a you know a series. Unspeakable history, right? Here's
1: the next podcast. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you you had some like amazingly uh, minutiae details too that I just found myself grinning at when I came across. Like when Prohibition stopped finally, you had the number of beers sold on the very first day. After prohibition, right. you, at, right. you know, 000 bottles and 17,000 gallons of beer, draft beer. I mean, and then you had the superlative, right? More than any other county in Florida. How did, how did you? And, oh, and the nickels—that all of a sudden, the mint was producing more nickels because jukeboxes became popular. I mean, right. that was like mind blowing. You know, like how did <laughs> right. you come across those little details about, like, like you said, these kind of national phenomenons?
2: I mean, it's, you're just trolling sources constantly. So, I mean, if um you know, like I think the, the numbers of beers, some, you know, a, a journalist at the time, you know, wrote that. But then the whole nickels thing, um, you know, I just learned about, uh, you know, doing research about jukeboxes for, you know, juke joints and everything. So that was just one thing I was like, oh, what a great little fact. I had no idea. And That's like huge. Like when the mint has to make more nickels, like and like millions of more nickels is a big deal. Like it shows you just how much it's changed the culture and currency so I um, yeah so I, I love those little things and i just save them because you don't know if you're gonna be able to use it or not and uh you know and the thing is is i'm sure you guys run into the same thing where you know what what you publish is just a fraction of kind of what you did and, mm-hmm. and that's so true with history too because a lot of times i'm pulling on multiple strings to see if any of them play out you know some of them don't go anywhere this guy wasn't important, or wasn't what I thought, or whatever. So there's a lot of dead ends, um, but then a lot of stuff that you have to know just so you know it. You know what I mean? Like the yeah. the audience doesn't have, it doesn't necessarily have to know like the details of the Panama Canal Treaty or something, but in order for you to write about it authoritatively, you have to know. So that makes it kind of hard, too. You know, you're getting a lot of information, you know, and and uh, I'm trying to incorporate it all together. So. I'm sure, you guys run into the same thing,
0: Andrew. How can, how did how can journalists partner with librarians? Do you think on this kind of work? Uh, because like I, I assume, like just listening to you talk, I have no idea what you have available. Like what's at your right. fingertips?
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the big struggles with <clears throat> with any archive, and the people who do know about us are the people who are already using us, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, we have so much stuff, and it's it's growing. Um, So like some of the kinds of things I actually I made a couple notes for myself being a good employee. Um, But like, uh, you know, I mean, some of the papers just are relevant to this is like the WPA papers. So like, for example, all these writers who were out of work in the 1930s, a lot of really progressive writers for their time are all writing about the demographics of, you know, Hillsborough County of Florida, Tampa, they're doing this all over the state. So they're writing about the Seminole language, they're writing about You know, um, Czechoslovakian music, Um, you know, Cuban, they call it voodoo, but it was really Santeria. Um, So there's a lot of amazing stuff in that collection, and they don't always get it right, and it's not always like up to, you know, 21st century standards of kind of liberality, but um, they're still way ahead of their time, and there are a lot of really, really important scholars worked for the program, Stetson Kennedy's or Neil Hurston people like that. So um, that to me is just a treasure. We have all the papers of, like the Mutual Aid Society, so the Cuban Club, the Martin Maceo Club, which is the Afro-Cuban Club, um, you know, the other, uh, the Italian Club and the Spanish and Asturian Club. So those are all really interesting and we got like, for example, we have all these old playbills from their theaters. That stuff gets used a lot. People are like studying like ethnic theater in the 20s and 30s. It's it's a gold mine. Um, you know, we got all kinds of stuff having to do the cigar industry, cigar labels, and art. Um, you know, and then like even the Columbia restaurant, uh, we have their papers. We don't have all the old recipes. I would like the old recipe book if we could ever get a hold of that, but I'm sure we'd have to keep, keep that in the vault somewhere. Um, you know, and oral history we've got all kinds of oral histories of people who are no longer with us. Um, just great stuff. You know, I, I think I did a 24 hour interview, not all at once, but with Sam Gibbons, um, which is just fascinating. I think we spent four hours on D day and the night before D day, you know, when he jumped into Normandy as a paratrooper, just great stuff there. Um, and then this is another kind of wild example. A few years ago, we got a bunch of midwife records. So, um, Maria Greco is a midwife here in Tampa, and we've got these three pads, and it's just a list of names, you know, it written in pencil, as she delivered each one, she just wrote it, wrote it down, it's like, wow, you know, um, really cool, so there's uh, there's all kinds of stuff back there, and the fact is, is that I'm still finding stuff that I didn't know about, you know, I'm still connecting dots, you know, um, it's, a, it's a wonderful place to work, um, there's just so much so much cool stuff, and still mysteries back there. You know,
0: sounds like you got. Do you take anything that somebody will give you? Like if somebody says,
2: "No, right. not anything, <laughs> not anything." But um, but we take a lot of you know a lot of different stuff. You know, if it if it's helpful for you know future researchers. And I guess that's really the the biggest challenge for an archivist is to how do how do you anticipate that nobody could have anticipated a hundred years ago that people will be studying like LGBTQ history right now so intensely. I don't think anybody would have, you know, um, would have predicted that in 1920. So, um, so who knows, you know, a uh, hundred years from now, what will be the big thing, you know?
0: What, what's what been the reaction to the book so far?
2: Um. Well, it's been hard because, you know, we've been all on lockdown as people might uh, need something to read. Um, yeah, there's that. So I figured that, but uh, it's, it's been hard to get out and, you know, do any kind of promotion. Um, but, uh, but, you know, thanks so much for having me on. Um, but you know, I've gotten some reviews back just from people who I respect and everything. And it's been, it's been good. I'm, you know, for me, it's a bonus when people read it at all, you know, I mean, I kind of did this so much of it was just this internal goal of me, of mine and that, you know, when I publish it, I'll cross that bridge later. I'm not really worried about that so much. Right. Um, so that's how I got here. <laughs> but, um, uh, but it's really encouraging. I mean, to see any kind of, uh, you know, any good reviews and people who enjoy it. Cause I mean, I wrote it's sort of like, you know, starting a band to to write music that you want to listen to, you know? So this is a kind of my approach to history. I, uh, you know, a little, um, hopefully easy to easier to read, you know, and uh, maybe keep you turning the pages, so.
1: Well, well that so you. you wouldn't hear from other history books. You know, it it's so yeah. didn't feel like a history book. It felt like a personal account of, like, this side of Tampa that not many people have explored, so thank you for sharing that with us.
2: Oh, thanks. thanks.
1: Get are, you guys.
0: Okay, if you have a question for Andrew or for Lane or want to suggest a podcast topic, find us on our Facebook group or email it to rightlane at tampabay.com. That's W R I T E L A N E at tampabay.com. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Ayana Ishmael. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening.